Hi everyone, welcome back to Bookish. My guest this week is Dawn O'Porter. Dawn is a really multi-talented lady. She is a writer, a presenter, a producer, a mother, a fellow podcaster, lives in LA, is married to the actor Chris O'Dowd, who happens to be playing the lead in my husband's show, Get Shorty, on Epics. Really good. Don't miss it. I'm also going to be in season two. Sorry, secret aside and push there for the show. Anyway, uh, so Dawn and I met through her husband and I just fell for her immediately. She is wonderful and writes fluently and funnily about modern womanhood. Uh, Her latest novel, The Cows, I devoured and laughed out loud. It's such a delightful, fun read and is about four women who are all juggling with the demands of being women in today's age, uh, living with digital media and a public life and a private life and how to combine them and whether to have children. So lots to talk about. And we talked hard and fast about her books and what it is to be a mum and a working mum. So uh, I loved talking to Dawn. It was a blast. Uh, Check out her podcast, which is called Get It On which is a great podcast about clothes and the way your clothes define you. So not dissimilar to this one, but about clothes that you wear and what they say about you. You can get that on iTunes as well. All right. I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you so much for being my guest. You're so welcome. This is so fun. I'm going to do that. Hi, Dorno Porter. Hello, gorgeous. You know, it is one of my favorite things about you is that you took the O. I did. That is literally, I knew that about you before I knew, oh, come on. So, Tattooed on my hand, my fourth so, wedding anniversary present to Chris. Is that? Was that. So just to clarify for the listeners, Dawn's um, unmarried name was Dawn Porter. Which is so small. It's such so, a small little name now. Is it? It's so funny. And then when you married your husband, Chris O'Dowd, you took the O, which is just it's like if people don't know you, it's the only thing they need to know yeah. about you to and know it, but, who and you are. And the crucial apostrophe as well. Oh, of course. So um, yeah, I, it was it was a funny thing. I was when we were getting married, I knew I wasn't going to be Dawn O'Dowd, uh-huh. and I didn't want to be Mrs. Anything Else. But I did, you know, I really loved Chris. I was like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this guy. I was like, I do want to mark it in some kind of way. And I thought, how amazing that we've just got this thing. I didn't, And I don't have a middle name, so I didn't want some really big, long name like yes. Dawn O'Dowd Porter yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's just, I'm just going to take I don't it have home. a middle name either. And it was so funny because it just didn't occur to me. I mean, maybe with Davy and I had a discussion, but the idea of becoming Sonia Holmes was just sort of hilarious yeah. to me. Like, hilarious and utterly improbable. And also my dad didn't have sons, so I felt quite strongly Same that, here. Yeah. right? So that Walger felt sort of important and important to continue, you know, even though it ends with me, basically. Yeah. But uh, there was no there was no way to do a Holmes Walger. No. no just too long, too and hybrid-y. I think, but, I think it's really fair enough when people don't... Um, don't have a any more of an association with their name other than it being their name. Yeah. Like, but I feel like if you've worked in an industry where you've earned your name, you've seen it in print, you've done, you know, you've been on TV or you've or all sorts, not just not just the entertainment industry, but you really feel like you've earned your name. Sorry about my wobbly table. <laughs> um, then I think it's quite hard to give it up. I agree. And I, also, I just kind of feel like you just make your own rules, don't you? Just yeah. do your own thing. And actually, to bring it into books... When we got married, I had a book coming out shortly after our wedding. Which one? Uh, Paper, Paper Airplanes. Airplanes. Yeah. And I asked, I so it was a really crucial time for me to decide what my name was going to be for the rest of my oh, writing career because that book really defined a moment where I started to write fiction and uh-huh. you know everything changed. And so I asked them to mock up two copies of the cover. One with Dawn Porter and one with Dawn O'Porter. Really? And I just thought the Dawn O'Porter looked better. And that so was good. such a I deciding love that was a decider. Yeah, and, I ha- and once I'd said, right, that's going on the book, then that was my name. Right. And then there's this moment where you're like, do I have a professional name or do I have... Uh, and I just wanted one name. Yes, like, so I totally. can't be bothered with no, that. I agree. So I changed it by Deepom. Now it's on my passport. It's completely official. It's... And our kids are actually O'Porter as well. Are they as well? Yeah. So great. I love it too. I love that. Yeah, I, I love do. that. And so then you've got the tattoo of the O. Our fourth one anniversary we were in Hawaii and 
in this really cute hotel we're staying at there was a little tattoo parlor opposite and it's a bit of a tradition because for our wedding uh, for my wedding present to Chris I got him a tattoo on my bottom of the dog the cat and um, <laughs> the word munchies which was our nickname for each other so for our fourth wedding anniversary I was like right I'll go and get the O for him did he know that was happening I, was I that think a surprise? So. yes he did and then he also um wanted to get a tattoo for me and he couldn't decide what to do, so he just got a heart on his ribcage, oh. which is really, really sweet. But he nearly died. <laughs> when I, I left, I went... Cause Isn't that the we most had, painful it place It was the worst. Do the it. poor guy, honestly, he was trying to be really romantic. And I swear, I, mean, oh. like, I think it's damaged him for life psychologically. <laughs> we had our one-year-old with us, so I took our one-year-old out while Chris got it. And when I went back, he was white and apparently had to like lie in a different position. He thought he was going to faint, like the no. worst experience of his life. But no, now was that his first heart. tattoo? <laughs> And his last. I think it was not having it. I think it, it probably will be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet man. Bless his heart. Such a lovely thing. I haven't got any tattoos, nor has Davey. It wouldn't have occurred to me either. It wouldn't have occurred to no. me. It's such a lovely thing to do. And I, you I don't... You really, really have to love them. You really do. The tradition kind of started for me when I was 18, and I had one, four, three put on my bottom for this guy that I was going out with. Has your bottom got any room left on yeah, it? Well, and that's what the one for Chris replaced. It ah. went over it, because he'd had to see this tattoo that was for another guy. <laughs> and one, four, three meant I love you. It was this code that this guy and I had oh, in that wow. kind of way when you're 18 you think you'll be with this person of course, forever of course. and so um and so i for our wedding present i got it covered up with a dog and a cat our dog and our cat um a friend of chris's i got him to he's a cartoonist and i got him to draw the dog and the cat and then had that put on my bum brilliant yeah so clever i love this genius bum tattoo um tell me something what are you reading now well just before you arrived I did a little bit of a tirade on Instagram because reading at the moment is quite frustrating I have a seven month old and a three year old yes and say no more well yeah say I mean no and it really upsets me because reading is a real joy and pleasure mm. in my life and I'm like wow I don't do that one simple thing anymore it makes you realise how little time mm. with a job and a kid you get to actually be on your own without just sleeping two kids yeah. um, and a working husband and a working husband and so so I, um, you know, just about get through maybe one episode of a TV show at night mm. and then go to bed to read and I'm asleep within 20 seconds. Mm. So I now I'm going to, I need to factor it into my working day as a writer to um, give myself an afternoon, at least a week where I read because without consuming stories, you can't write stories. Mm. That's interesting. So you can consume while you write. I, yes. And I, as much as I, very often when I get stressed about uh, word output, I think I haven't got time to read, I haven't got time mm-hmm. to read. I always, without doubt, have a better writing day the day after I've read something. Really? Like, for always. Yeah. Like, it just... Generating words in your head, in and out, it's all just mm. part of the same circle. you just got to keep it going in and keep it coming out. And so just before you got here, I sat down in the garden, because we're in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and it's really sunny, <laughs> and whatever month this is, and um, I started to read The Sellout. Oh, the Paul Beatty book. Yes. Yes. Um, so I got about five pages in. Yes, I think it's as far as I've got in. Yeah. So a lot of people say that. Mm. But very often with those literary books, mm. prize-winning books, you either click with the wordiness of them or you don't. I agree. I also think it's a tough one. I similarly got into it, I think, quite soon after it came out, mm. which is over a year ago, I think. So Jakey was just a bit younger, probably yeah. nearer Val's age than what he is now. And it felt too inaccessible. It felt too much of a device. It felt too... Yeah. And yet it's been raved about. I think the other issue for me is is that it's on my fucking Kindle. Yeah. And I, it's too easy for me to leave books behind yeah. on the Kindle. I, I tend just to move, finish... You don't feel it, so you just download another yeah, one Yeah, exactly. On. Yeah. I sort of don't notice. And um, I'm reading your book, The Cows, on my Kindle, because I wanted it immediately. And uh, as I said, devouring it, a Adoring it. That is one I really, really have no problem finishing or it's highly recommending. It's quite pacey. Oh, it's t- it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare because I was it was ten fifteen last night and I was like, oh, I'll just do one more chapter, and then something really, really pivotal happened, and I'm going to avoid ruining it for people because it's got a few fantastic pivotal moments that are real cliffhangers. And I was like, you fucker, <laughs> you fucker, I got to push on. Yeah. So then it was eleven o'clock. Anyway, I'm seventy six percent of the way oh, through. Oh, well, thank you. Um, 
But that's where the Kindle is the joy, obviously, for the immediacy of it. Yeah. But um, but I find it really too easy to sort of just walk just away. Just walk away, with I know. And even actually, because I've, I've stopped the Kindle lately, because I've really wanted the, the kids to see me reading actual books, yes. just so that they realize I'm not just endlessly on a screen all the time. And uh, and so that they equate, you know, so that they know they are in a family mm-hmm. that reads. I, I, we all do, but sometimes it's too easy for us to look like we're all on iPads. Yes, that's a really good point. So I've gone back to... Um, actual books for that reason so I hadn't been on the Kindle for a bit I realized I'm seeing you and I wanted to read the cows for ages anyway so I quickly download it and that was where I discovered that I had maybe six brand new untouched books one of which is the sellout which is yeah. at five percent so suggests I'm about as far in as you are and uh, and it just depressed me it just made me feel I wouldn't have six unread novels sitting by the bed I right know now. it's an odd thing I do love how you can read an article about I mean as a writer and someone who's that is selling work mm-hmm. it's a really great thing to know that someone can read an article and download your book that minute, rather yeah. than have to kind of wait for their lunch hour go and get a sandwich and by sure. the time they've done that they've forgotten all about your book so in, in terms of like supporting work it's it's a really great thing mm. but it's um yeah it's it, I do move on from books really quickly on it and you're right you don't want to be on a screen all the time I do tend to do this thing where if I read a book on a Kindle I've lost my Kindle by the way I haven't seen it for a year which says <laughs> a great deal about the amount that I read I say to Chris where is my Kindle and one day I'm just going to see it and it'll be like this really geriatric machine like, <laughs> completely outdated well now we're reading hologram books in our living room um but I but I do, oh yes, that was it. So if I, I have a thing because I write books where if I read a book on the Kindle, I have to buy the book as well oh, to put it on the shelf. Right. Because That's I just... a nice habit. We have to keep going with books. Mm, like do. otherwise they really will just go. Do you know, I was so <clears throat> enraged the other day. I went to, there's that brand new mall that opened, or renovated mall in Century City. I think it's Westfield. Oh yeah, Westfield it's Center. quite the spaceship, isn't it's it? It's breathtaking. Yeah. It's sort of astonishing. I walked around with my tongue out the whole time. And the, the part that had me really troubled was I walked past a store and it said Amazon on the outside and I doubled back because I couldn't believe it and it is an actual bricks and mortar Amazon bookstore and I just felt this wave of rage and betrayal the idea that this globalized albeit brilliant but you know, to begin with, a book company has put every book company out of business, no, really every sad. single bookstore out of business, and has now come back with its own bookstore. Watch me never get Amazon as a sponsor right now. Yeah. But but I, I was I just felt like it was just sort of horrifying. It was like know, something out of a terrible corporate I horror film. It's 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 really sad. I mean, saying that you know, I ordered a book from Amazon yesterday. Like I, just, I live on Amazon. I know. I do too. It's, it's just the idea that they're going to replace that I the know, bricks and really mortar sad. little bookstores don't get book soup is you know hanging on by a thread. The, there's just no bookstores anymore, and the, the idea yeah, that the only really ones sad. that will be left are Amazon run as well just sort of broke my heart. I know. Even the big one. I love walking around Barnes and Noble. Yeah. And just. You kind of think, what was the one that just is gone in London now or England? Was it um, one of the big ones? Just doesn't exist anymore. Really? Yeah, I can't remember. Or maybe it was in, maybe it was in America. I can't remember. Fascinating content. <laughs> you, you're so welcome. No, everyone. come on. I that was it. that was the moment that they'll they'll rewind, record, <laughs> play that, and again. just like tweet it out repeatedly <laughs> for like. No, that was genius. But don't you? Um, it's one of the things I miss about home. Actually, is is you know I live in my family's all in Fulham, and um, so, and Fulham has and Chelsea both have a collection of really fantastic, fantastic yeah. independent bookstores, and it's one of my favourite things because they're so beautifully curated. You know, little John Sando and Sons or Nomad Books in Fulham. They are these. You go in that that little round table with mm-hmm. recommendations from the staff. Is just is just not a recommendation I'll find anywhere else. No, it's not. But you have to be. A fr- what I've learned about being involved in this industry is that there aren't that many readers. Hmm. Like really, you think you really, but not that many people buy books. And then a small fraction of those people that buy books aren't buying it because they're interested in the author or they've been sucked in by. Pe- bit of publicity Mm -hmm. a small percentage of those people have come across your book because of a recommendation like that or because they've gone out to buy a new book Mm -hmm. and they've really searched and this is the one that they've discovered Um, it just doesn't isn't how people do it anymore it's like you're sitting at your desk you'll see an article will get tweeted Mm -hmm. you may or may not be interested and you'll and or a famous person has written a book or whatever it's just a new way of doing it so that kind of kind of curated Lovely. thing yeah it just yeah. doesn't and also you see those bookshops now desperately trying to make money in other places like putting right. on events or suddenly there's Coffee a cafe shops. in them yeah, or something exactly. like that and like oh this is really tragic yeah. and you know we should all at least once a year 
go into a bookshop and buy a book. Yes. But um, it's getting, it's getting, it feels like it's getting harder and harder. I know. I, I sort of pray in the same way that cheese shops and sort of designer butchers have all made a comeback. And, yeah, you know, we that's all feel, true. It really gives me hope that there is a resurgence for this boutique it experience. Will. I think that, I think while we all get obsessed with this new age of technology and it's kind of sweeping us all away in this kind of fascinating, wow, what's next mm. type feeling we will human beings will always crave great stories mm. and i think there will be no technology that is as satisfying as turn, turning the pages of a book i agree and I, so we'll go through all this of course they'll make some cool trendy hipster vintage comeback at some point and then we'll all be reading books again. <laughs> it will be it'll be like records it'll yeah. be like the oh, fun exactly. of having a record player yeah but that's why so i do i always buy the book if i've bought it on kindle or, or listen to the audiobook oh yeah who do you like? Do you like readers in particular? Not do really. Not, not really. Do you care if it's the author, for instance? It's always quite fun when it is. Did you narrate the cows? I did. I oh, did the fun. character of Tara, which was terrifying. I bet. Um, and then I cast the other two. Did you choose to do Tara as opposed to yes. Cam or Stella? Well, they wanted me to do the whole thing, but it's three different characters' perspectives, and yeah. I just thought that was ridiculous. And so I chose Tara and then forgot that there was, like, four lines of Russian accent. <laughs> And suddenly I'm in the booth and I'm like, guys, I think I, think I need a break. I need to just work this out. Who knows? And I kind so of Googled Russian uh, tutorials on oh, YouTube. Great. And then did a terrible attempt at it. Great. Um, I mean, it was fun to do. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, uh, it's a, a really good audio book is just such a treat, isn't it? Yeah, it's fabulous. I love I it. I agree. I've said this before on the podcast, but I'm a real fan of self-help books on audio. Oh, nice. For some reason, I find them sort of unendurable by the bed, really. And and I can't help feeling like this is not a waste of my time, but I'd rather be reading fiction. I yeah. would much rather be what precious time there is for reading. But somehow listening to self-help in the car, I find like it goes in properly. It sort of settles and I'm more receptive to it, particularly if it is the author reading it. Yeah, so those are my those are my ones. Esther Perel is a favourite of mine. Do okay. you know her? She's no. she's someone I'm dying to get on the podcast. Esther, if you're listening, watch out. Um, she's this incredible Belgian psychotherapist who's done this. Um, she wrote an amazing book called Mating in Captivity, mm. which is about marriage. And um, she wrote a book called The State of Affairs that just came out this year. She right. spent seven years researching infidelity, all different sides of it, the perpetrator, the victim, the mistress, or, you know, uh, third party. Um, and then she did this amazing series of podcasts where they're live uh, therapy sessions with married couples, anonymous, wow. so you never know who they are. But each one is talking about a different problem, be it infertility or infidelity oh, or that's really good. parenting. Or they are, they're called Where Shall We Begin? And you can get them on iTunes or uh, I'm Audible. And it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. So she's someone I'm sort of mesmerized by. So she's not so much self-help as sort of therapized yeah. and, and fascinating. Anyway, enough of this. Tell me, which is the first? I loved your books, by the way. They Did were you? really fun. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I knew them all, and I was just, it was just fun because we haven't had any of them. And I wonder which one you would like to start with. What should we start with? What should we start with? Where to uh, begin? Let's start with The Room of One's Own. Mm. Virginia Woolf, yes. 1929. Yes. I haven't read it in a long time, but certain elements of that book. When did you read it? I would have read it around the time that I met Chris, so probably around 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And no, actually, it was probably around a year, a year and a half later when I was getting really back into writing again, mm -hmm. around the time that I got the paper airplanes deal, because I'd had a bit of a shitty time career-wise for a few years before that, and TV work had dried up, and I was out here, and it was just all rubbish. And then I got this call from an editor saying that she read some columns I'd written would I consider writing fiction I was like what and that's how paper airplanes happened I got started to really read about others other women's experiences of writing and I kind of got led towards Virginia Woolf and her line a woman needs money and a room of her own to write fiction was resonated with me so much because I'd been skint hmm. for pretty much five years hmm. like right well, a little bit less than that but really 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 skinned since moving to LA you'd come I moved to, to do LA documentaries to do a, uh, yep, yeah. and I did a series and it was all great and then the series was going to get 
uh, taken again, do a second series. And then after a year of waiting, they just decided not to. Meanwhile, I'd spent all my money, was on the other side of the world. My career had kind of dwindled in the UK. And Isn't it, it fun when that happens? Yeah. I've had the identical, yeah. by the way. It was way, so really, really Such a good fun. time. Yeah. And then I met Chris just at the time that he was doing Bridesmaids and literally oh, great. taking over the planet. And I was like, oh, right, so you're doing all right then, are you? Anyway, it was just a bit of a mid few years, which now just seems so silly, but it, was, it wasn't great at the time. Yeah. And so, um, so, and all I ever really wanted to do was write. So mm. I, I kind of done this TV thing and that was all well and good and you know offered me lots of opportunities but I really just kind of longed to write the whole Mm. time so I got this opportunity to write paper airplanes and I just needed motivational quotes and I needed to just uh, I needed to kind of read things by other people who had struggled to get words down having you know been through whatever they've been through whatever all this stuff so I was just kind of I was just scouring for you can do it type story. Solidarity, yeah. yeah. And um, and this was the book, a, wo- a Woman Needs Money in a Room of Her Own to Write Fiction, made me feel like I had a little goal. Mm. I need to get myself financially independent and secure because I'd met Chris and he was kind of, you know, he'd kind of helped me out. He moved in and paid the rent and all that. And I was like, that was great. But I also, it didn't make me feel amazing. Mm-hmm. I wanted the stress. I didn't feel like I needed to be rich at all. I just wanted to be able to be independent. Yep. And I wanted a space to write in. And I think your your space to write in is crucial. And all these years later, I still don't know if I've nailed it. We're sitting outside my house now in our office, which is outside. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice, but it really is Chris's office, but he's on production at the moment, so I'm using it. Mm-hmm. I write in a cafe across the road mm-hmm. and I, I write in a little kind of space for writers not very far away. And it's still, and it's all working fine, mm-hmm. but I still have this goal in life of having a room of my own I'm right there with yeah, you that, that, that line resonates with me every day mm-hmm. and I, that's that's what I want and I love that book so much because she put that in my head and she gave mm. me my goal and people say to me sometimes what is, what's your end goal and I went and I think really the only thing I want apart from you know my healthy family and <laughs> my love and I mean uh-huh. work wise all I want all I'm working for to be able to achieve, achieve in my career is a studio type situation full of vintage dresses mm. with a desk in the middle that is my own room mm. wonderful what that's a great it. vision that's just it yeah and it's like when you realise that's all you want books and books and dresses books and dresses right there and, with you now and, that, yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's weird I don't know if many people have taken that away from a Virginia Woolf book but that's really it gave me my goal it gave me my dream it made me realise what I needed mm-hmm. and so I, I just love the book for that reason I'm so struck that you came to that even without having had kids because I think it's something that women arrive at often when they've had the invasion and the sort of you know it's not just a physical invasion it's an invasion of one's mental space too when yeah. you have children and suddenly realising your, your brain is so occupied by oh, I mean, keeping these little things alive and healthy and fed and yeah. is, is is he going it's, to it's a, violin it's practice? It's the most full-time job you'll ever do. Yeah. And after I had art, my deadline for the cows was just after I had art, Whoa. which was horrendous mm. and so stressful. And the fact that that book ended up being readable and did well blows my mind because I've never been so stressed in my life. Right. I also had a business at the time which I've now let go because that level of stress just was not worth it. Right. But um, What was the business? Was that with, vintage clothes? Yeah. No, yeah. Which was great but I was running it from the other side of the world and it was taking me away from the two things I love more than anything else in the world, my kid and my books. Right. Like, I, and, you know, my husband, he obviously comes He's fixing that, it. That, that, that's bracket. a given. Let's, yeah. make, let's make that um, the background to it all. Yeah. I just... Just, just to make As sure we did somewhere. <laughs> so the business had to go. I think you've got yeah. to, when you have kids, you have to not be a martyr. And if you yes. have a real ambition and a real passion like I do for writing, then you have to clear the way. Yeah. Also what Virginia Woolf was saying is, you know, women were imposed with such such a role in society, so downtrodden. They were given, you know, they an idea would come into their head and then they'd find themselves having to scrub toilets. And so before they mm. know it, they'd never get the chance to write that idea down. Mm. And actually that clarity of knowing that you've got time to think, the to honour yourself with giving yourself that space in mm. your head and that physical space of having a room mm. is how you create stuff. So I got rid of the business because it was just like a constant Flashing. fog. Yeah. And then everything changed. And now since I've had Valentine, what's amazing about that, which I can't quite believe, I went back to work when Val was six months. So it's only been a month since mm. I've rather pathetically been going back to work. Come on. My head amazing. is so clear. I mm. feel so on top of it this time. I really feel, I don't know what's different. Maybe it's because I got the practice of having art mm. but I feel so 
in control of my headspace this mm. time. I can compartmentalize. I can be mm. like, right, I have childcare from nine to five, so I work from nine to yeah. five. I'm just much more organized. And um, but that and- makes such sense. I think that second kid thing is is huge. Yeah. I think when it first happens to you, you just don't know what's happened to your body, to your emotions, to how long you should, in inverted commas, breastfeed or not. Yeah. Or the guilt of leaving them with the nanny or whatever. And by the second kid, you're like, this kid is absolutely fucking fine. Yeah. And you do your much boobs common. will come and go exactly, whatever exactly and I did have works, that with so. art I was like I've got to get this book in so I got um, childcare when he was about five months I just wasn't I didn't want it I wasn't ready so yeah there was all of that this time with Val I was like right six months get her in done. I'm done yeah. I'm out of here totally which is it's really nice but yeah I feel like you just kind of get a grip a bit more so yeah Virginia Woolf around one zone it, it spoke to me and still speaks to me um, I loved the I, when I was rereading about it. Uh, it's been years since I've read it too. I think I read it at Oxford because I did a paper on Virginia Woolf, who I love. I remembered as I was reading around it this lovely thing she talks about, where she talks about if Shakespeare had a sister, yes, that his sister would never have written yes a word. The parallel life, yeah. And um, I I pulled this quote out because I loved it. Um, I told you in the course of this paper that Shakespeare had a sister, but do not look for her in Sir Sidney Lee's Life of the Poet. She died young. Alas, she never wrote a word. She lies buried where the omnibuses now stop, opposite the Elephant and Castle. Now, my belief is that this poet who never wrote a word and was buried at the crossroads still lives. She lives in you and in me and in many other women who are not here tonight for they are washing up the dishes and putting the children to bed. But she lives for great poets do not die. They are continuing presences they need only the opportunity to walk among us in the flesh i just love that i love the idea of us being shakespeare's sister and then being in those of us that write and continue to you know engage with books whether you're writing them or not but if you're still involved in a life of story then you you do keep that alive and it's you know as women it's it's on us to keep that going it really is i mean there are still, you know, I, the idea that there were all those brilliant female minds with all those great ideas who were just repressed and never got the chance to tell their stories is so depressing. Yeah. Just makes you want to shout, doesn't it? I know. And just be like, right, we're so, if you've got an opportunity to tell your story, you should always tell it. Yeah. And I think there is also an element of women aren't encouraged in the same, I think, like, I think it's obviously it's the best time ever to be female. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can imagine back in the 60s, even, where, women wouldn't have been encouraged to be bold and tell their stories, Mm -hmm. feel confident creatively. They really had Mm -hmm. to fight through something to get their story told. When men have just always been encouraged and given the space and the time. Right. But on the other hand... She said this this 100 years ago and you're still thinking... 1929, yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, without being too Pollyanna-ish about it, I think the fact that women have been encouraged to be so emotionally expressive where men have not Mm -hmm. means that now that our time is coming to be spoke you know to speak out and that hopefully there's going to be this catching up between our intellectual and not that our intellectual abilities have ever been mm. in question but that their that their ability to be expressed in the world is going to be in tandem with an emotional maturity that i don't think men have necessarily been in access well wouldn't that be to. wonderful i think the the future of women in the creative industry is really exciting tell me have you always been do you may resent the word but a feminist I think so, mm. but then saying that, I think in my the kind of person that I am, I probably always have been. But you mm. know, back in Guernsey in the nineties, I don't know if I even heard the word. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. And I think <laughs> me too. Yeah, and I think there would have been a part of me that would just. I think then I would have moved to London and heard about feminism and thought it was just a bunch of big fat lesbians who drink herbal tea, right? Because I would have had a very closed minded. Um, well, just no, not close-minded at all. Actually, just uneducated view right. on activism, having right. been brought up in a very middle-class white place on sure. a tiny island where it was just very sheltered. Right. So I think I had some real catching up to do. And mm. as soon as I learnt what feminism really was, I was just right there on it. Mm. What do you think brought you to it? Or was there a book that did? Was any of these? I, I mean, because yeah, they're but- all. It's interesting. Yours are all. Uh... I don't know if Terry Newman is a man or a woman. I'm assuming that's a man. But all four of your four of your five authors were are women. Yeah, and also quite strong characters. And, and totally so, independent, you know, was, headstrong women. All yeah, of them. I I don't know. I mean, I just think that fundamentally, I was you know I lost my mum when I was very young. My auntie raised me. I was, but there was very much kind of 
Was your mum, do you remember your mum being someone who was feisty? Or, no. No. And I, I often think, you know, I was at the Women's March last month and I was like, I don't know if she would have been here. Interesting. I don't know if she was that, but she was very cool, hilarious, loads of fun and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and adventurous and wild. But I don't know. No one's really spoken to me like she was a feminist. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know that, but my auntie... Uh, is my auntie a feminist? She always had her own business. You know, she was she was that woman. She's her own person. Mm-hmm. I think she's, rather than maybe being a feminist in the terms of being an activist, I think she just lives out, you know, a strong female existence. Right. So I think that would be my influence. Yeah. And I think when you don't have a mom, like my auntie was, you know, brought me up, but she wasn't a mom. Right. I was very much fending for myself, which makes you quite solid mm-hmm. or not maybe, but it, did, it made me quite strong. And so I was quite... Um, strident in my own beliefs of what I was capable of right and so I don't know and I but no I think I learned about feminism and learned that I was one probably quite late on right and realizing yeah of course I am that fits uh-huh. everything that I believe and want to believe and how I want women to be and right what I think is right right so interesting it's so exciting that you have boys Oh, God, I'm so glad I have boys it's so wonderful well I always think that I always think that when really strong articulate women that I know have sons but who also have you know full hearts as you do I feel like it's so great because we need men in the world with mothers like this well this is how I feel I feel like it's like it's your responsibility to raise a good man I'm gonna make I'm gonna make the world a safe place for women safer place for women I take that whole job on myself as a mother of two boys but um no I, I as soon as I didn't know if Valentine was a boy or a girl and when he came out I knew he was a boy just in my heart. Uh-huh. But, and when he came out, I was like, yes. Yes. Because I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. I was petrified of having a girl. Right. Um, having been a teenage girl, I didn't want to have to deal with that. I was horrendous. <laughs> and you've got a sister too. And, and we were both horrendous. Great. So in all the fun, naughty ways. So um, I just wanted boys. I just want I just want to raise great guys. Mm. And, you know, poor Art's three. And I'm like, we're talking, I'm just make him talk about feelings. I'm just like, so, <laughs> I need the, these always guys. He's like... I asked him this morning, I said, Artie, I need to get you some more shoes. What colour do you want? He said pink. And I was like, my work here is done. You know, he's he's very... So good. um, But, you know, then he's also obsessed with cars and trucks and and all this kind of really standard boy stuff, which I think is wonderful. But he'll... They will grow up to have feelings to see that women, you know... I mean, the thing is that, you know, I'm very... Our roles in our house are very defined and without us really meaning it to be... Chris is a really hands-on dad. Mm. Like, when he's not on production, it's... We do alternate mornings. He puts out to bed most nights, fun with the baby. Mm-hmm. Like, he does so much. But in terms of, like, household stuff, I do all the cooking mm-hmm. and Chris does all the DIY. Yes, so sometimes, too. Yeah, so mm. I'm like... They, they, there's stuff like that, but I love that because yes. I love that... That's not, those aren't roles in our family that we're pissed off about. Right. Like we do, I'm passionate to your about strength. cooking. Right. And, and I love that, I love that being a female role. I yeah. really do. Like, I okay. love being the mother in the kitchen and yeah. taking care of and licking my finger and wiping their mouths and doing all that stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I don't want to be anything else. I don't yes. want to be the one doing those things that people sometimes think is a feminist issue of, you know, changing tyres and putting up shelves. I don't want to. I hate it. No interest. I literally can barely use the TV remote control. Chris does all of this. So our boys will see quite defined roles in that way. But... You know, like you do with Jakey and, um, like your, and your little gorgeous girl. They're like, they're in the kitchen, there, but they're not, they're doing cooking. They're, yes. It's not about the fact that she's doing no, it. No, it's not gendered. He's it's not, just it's not, not gendered, but, yeah. You know, I just, I love it. I love the fact that I'm a mother and a woman and female and soft yes. and emotional. And yeah. Chris is, you know, tough and doing those things. That, I think, is perfect. I agree. I totally But at the same agree. time, I work. I'm, you know, I'm going to teach them how to treat women. Yeah. I can't wait to have the first condoms talk with them. <laughs> I'm it. sending Jakey over to you for that one. I can't wait. I've just got this fancy where I just go into their room. They're both together and I give them both a condom. They'll probably be around. I'd say Val's probably going to be, you know, I've got to get them early before they're doing it when I don't know about them. So maybe Val's going to be 12 and I'll be 14. And I'm going to go and like, look, dudes, here's the thing. Yeah. Um, if you're going to have sex with girls that's okay I can't stop you being a fucking dickhead if you don't wear one of these yep. I'm going to show them pictures of sexual diseases oh, so and I'm going to explain to them how if a woman doesn't say if a woman says no then no if she hasn't said yes and you should always ask and you should always wash your hands and your dick for you <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm just going to leave and they will be so 
so horrified and never come out of their room and never have sex with anyone because I ruined their lives. So good. I'm really loving the detail of showing the photos of STDs. Yeah. If this, nothing is going to hammer it home. This is the boil that oh you will get on the end God. of your penis if you don't wear this condom That's that your mother gave you. fucking great. Yeah. Let's talk about your next book on the throes of, heels of that. I have Jane Eyre down next. Do okay. you want to do that? Another classic that... I didn't read it till quite late. Again, probably around eight years ago. And I was just going through the whole thing going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I just relate to so many of this. Not relate. I don't know if it's relate, but just the character resonated with me. She felt so modern despite the Mm. fact that she was so old-fashioned. 1847 it came out, yeah. And I think one thing I love about Jane Eyre, and you hear this a lot about unlikable characters in fiction, but, you know, when we're so saturated with beauty and, and... image and she just you know one of the things about Jane Eyre is that she's not beautiful Mm. and it's just a testament to the power of beautiful writing where you Mm. fall in love with this woman Mm. and I I have such fantasies about Charlotte Bronte Mm. and some I I was googling this actually to see if it was true and I can't find any evidence of it but I'm sure I heard it on something about the Brontes that she just disappeared up to an attic for two weeks and wrote Jane Eyre Well, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I love, I think it was a very different writing process back then. No distractions to the internet, no Twitter, no Instagram. The idea (laughs) that you just kind of waddle up to your attic room with a candle and come up with a story like that. Whether it took four months or two weeks, doesn't matter. I just just love the whole romance of the Bronte sisters. Uh, But Jane Eyre is the one that spoke to me the most. Did you uh, read it because you went, oh, I haven't read Jane Eyre and I yes. should? Or did someone give it to you? No, yeah, I read that. it because I thought I should read more classics because mm. I was, despite the only subject I enjoyed at school being English literature and drama, I still was rubbish at reading. And mm. I would, you know, with any book over 150 pages, I would just get the cliff notes. Mm. Um, so I just felt like I needed to kind of do one. And I ended up reading Jane Eyre about four times in a row. Did you really? And listened to a really nice audio book of it, but I can't remember who wrote, who did that, but there's obviously yeah. thousands of them. Um, I love the love story. Yeah. I just love the love story. That line, reader, I married him, made oh, me man. want to write a thousand books. Didn't it? It's wonderful, isn't it? It's so funny because we'll just go back to what you were saying about the speed that she wrote it in. I was reading this article that was saying mm. that what a magical year 1847 was for English literature because... Her sister came out with Wuthering Heights uh, four months earlier. So Wuthering Heights came out and then four months later, or maybe five months later, Jane Eyre came out, yeah. And then was another one that came out, maybe six months after that, that another one. Anyway, just this extraordinary sort of productive, I think Middlemarch came out, which is George Eliot, obviously, but I think that came out that year too. And it was just this extraordinary year for female fiction, even though they obviously published under male pseudonyms. But... I agree. There's something about the myth just of those sisters mm. alone that is so Just fascinating. Isn't it? I'd love yeah. to go to their house. I've never done that. Mariella Fostrop did a really nice radio documentary about um, the Bronte sisters. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've just... Oh, well, God. there's the, the horrific dad who is there, yeah. the parson, I think. He was a parson and I think really vindictive and oppressive. So, so much of what they're doing and writing, it comes out of, you know, a reaction to that. Yeah. Which, which is also interesting in its miniature way of like, oh, the, what happens to women when responding to a oppressive patriarchy? You know. The way that women, you know, creative women will turn an experience like that into a beautiful story mm. or use it in ways to, you know, right men and I find that amazing Um, Virginia Woolf talks about the Brontes a lot as well and their process I just I just think we when I what I was I think it was Goose the second book of Paper Airplanes I was in we were in Dunleerian Island because Chris was filming Moon Boy and I went off the internet well off Twitter for five weeks and just sat in this beautiful house by the sea and just wrote this book and I just kept thinking this this is the closest I'll get to ever how it felt like being wow. a Bronte sister and they found that you, when you take away the distraction of the world and just you're able to kind of sit in your withdraw yeah yeah and you do you pull up you pull all the experiences from your own life and whether they make it into the book or not doesn't matter you're there all the time so to have a father like that to have sisters like that to be in a time like that to mm. be you know oppressed in that way to write these amazing things but not even be able to use your real name because you know it won't sell it's mm. just all must give you so much inspiration mm even if it feels oppressive. Mm. Have you read um, Wide Sargasso Sea? No. Do you know about it? No. So this woman, Jean Reese wrote this amazing book called Wide Sargasso Sea, and it is um, written from the point of view of Mrs. Rochester. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. So it's so there's so little known about Mrs. Rochester. To those of you that haven't read Jane Eyre, uh, Jane Eyre falls in love with a sort of Byronic 
beautiful, d- dark, mad, brooding man called Mr. Rochester. And it turns out Mr. Rochester has a wife who's insane in the attic of their of the enormous house. I can't remember what the house is called. Something very well known. Anyway, um, and Mrs. Rochester goes mad and sets fire to the house. Jane Eyre is gone and comes back to discover the house is a cindered ruin. And Mrs. Rochester has been under the care of a woman called Grace Poole, who is someone that my mum was obsessed with when really? she was young and she and her friends used to play playing Mrs. Rochester and being they would be more excited about being Grace Poole who was the nutty drunk caretaker who was supposed to be in charge of Mrs. Rochester but who's too drunk and hence Mrs. Rochester burnt the house down anyway there are very few facts about Mrs. Rochester in the story of Jane Eyre but Jean Rhys took what little there was which is that she was raised in the West Indies and wrote this book that is so beautiful it is so not a spin-off you could read it without having ever read Jane Eyre okay well I will and it's gorgeous and it's lyrical and poetic and she's not trying to do Jane Eyre she's Mm. not trying to do the Brontes Jean Rhys is a contemporary writer Um, it's just amazing and it's about this woman coming from the West Indies and coming to the cold cold dark moors um, and and marrying Rochester and it not turning out well and being relegated to the attics it's just this wonderful and she's in the attic in the book yeah so it's this wonderful other point of view and then you get glimpses of Jane Eyre through it amazing yeah so I really recommend that I thought of it when I was I hadn't I I read Sargasso Sea years ago and I thought of it as I was researching this and thinking I wonder if you knew it no I will I'll look that up for sure so which which comes next for you? I have Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit, Legendary Authors and the Clothes They Wore, or We Need to Talk About Kevin. So let's do We Need to Talk About Kevin, because yes. that's a short, sharp burst of high emotion. Great, for me. go for it. <laughs> okay. Holy moly. I read it. Um, Oddly used to live two doors down from Lionel Shriver. Really? In um in London. She doesn't like it when I say when we lived on, on okay. the wireless, which is fair enough. No, she's, she's, <laughs> she's such a dude. Um, and I desperately wanted to meet her. I'd read, I'd read We Need to Talk About Kevin, and, um, and I kind of... No, I hadn't read it, and I knew she lived at Two Doors Down, but I'd read loads of uh, interviews that she'd done, and she fascinated me, so I read We Need to Talk About Kevin, knowing that the author of it lived Two Doors Down. And it, this book, out of all the books in the world, I don't know if I would describe it as my favourite book, mm-hmm. the best book, but, well, actually, that that depends how you define a best book. Sure. It, a, a book to put you through the experience that I had when I read We Need to Talk About Kevin surely makes it actually a best book because mm-hmm. I was so gripped, so consumed, so lost in this world, so terrified, mm. so shocked at the revelations, so shocked at the twists, so obsessed with her, the character, and me trying to work out if she, who I really thought she was. Mm. I went on such a journey. When I finished it, I could only go out for dinner with people who I knew had read the book Mm -hmm. because it's all I could talk about. Mm. And if I went out for dinner with somebody or saw somebody who hadn't read the book, then I told them the entire book because then I still (laughs) need to talk about it. All the while knowing that Lionel Shriver's two doors down. I'm like, how the fuck am I going to meet this woman? I can't bear it. I can't bear it. I can't bear it. I was just like... Oh, I just didn't. I just didn't know. I just didn't know how to cope. It was such an intense experience for me. Yeah. I, I just, I just loved it because, I it gave me true fear, and I had a nephew, my first nephew, little Billsy, who I love so much, and um, couldn't look him in the face. Couldn't look him in the eye. Really? How old was he? A baby. Right. Couldn't look him in the eye. <laughs> Every I'd hold him and I'd be like, Oh, he's obviously going to kill us. He's, he's going to kill all of us. Murderer. He is going to be a murderer. Oh, it really got me. And then I go on to have two boys and have to just forget that I ever read this book. Yeah, I thought the film was great, but it's not a patch on the book. No, not and at all. and I think they did a great job with it. And um, but the tiny details in the book that they had to miss out the film in the film just made the book for me. I love the fact that it was li- written in letters. I thought that was really clever. And I've read other books that have written letters before and it's been really boring. I find them really hard yeah, work. And yeah, and actually, like, you know... And my you heart get... sinks. I tend yeah. to flick ahead and go, God, is the whole thing going to be same. lessons? And but... even though when I was writing The Cows, there's quite a few emails in it. And even writing emails, I was like, there's something that shifts the attention of the reader or just isn't interesting when the text changed something. So I was really aware of that. And I, around the time that, you know, email became so big, I remember lots of books coming out where the whole, the whole book was written in emails, mm. couldn't get f- past the first few pages, mm. really just don't like it as a style at all. But this written in letters, I absolutely loved. And um, yeah, so it just, it just, oh, this book just drove me crazy for so long. And then Chris and I went on honeymoon and, um, a week into our honeymoon, my Siamese cat, who you just saw, mm. it went missing. Ooh. And it was just absolutely devastating for mm. me. I really, really ruined the first week of our honeymoon. I was just 
trying so hard to keep a brave face on for Chris and I know he was trying to but we were just absolutely devastated and um, anyway after a week I got to we got to St Lucia and which was our kind of third destination we had a really lovely honeymoon we'd organised the, the most extravagant part of our whole thing was to get a speedboat from the top of St Lucia to the bottom of St Lucia and so we're sitting on this boat and there's champagne and we're just like, and I'm just tr- pretending to be happy going, this should be the best experience of my life because right. what we're doing right now is ridiculous. Anyway, I just got a text message from my next door neighbour holding the cat. No. And the cat had turned up on Lionel Shriver's doorstep. No. So then, not only has my cat come home, so I now good. have an excuse to go round so and say thank you for good. bringing my cat home. So it was awesome. So anyway, Lionel's now uh, not a friend as such, but we, we emailed sometimes. She came to my last book launch and she's now uh, just an awesome person so who I'm so wonderful. happy I know. And what I love about her is that she's not a horrible, dark, mean person no. at all. She doesn't have kids, she didn't want kids or what I don't actually know the reasons why. But she's just a really cool lady and but she's got this thing about this toughness. And yes, of course it was her that wrote that book and I love that. Mm. I love I love that I believe that there's a part of her that doesn't understand why you'd have children and so could create the story about kids becoming murderers Mm -hmm. and I love that about her Mm. that she just went for it because Mm. a lot of people were like you don't have kids how can you write that and that's exactly why she can write that character because she can make a child that she doesn't have into whatever she wants it to be and it was quite brave writing about a horrible subject that is very very real and I uh, agree I thought also it was incredibly brave not just to make Kevin who he was but to make uh, potentially to make the mother so completely ambivalent, yeah. androgynous, unsympathetic. Yeah. I mean, she breaks Kevin's arm, yeah. as I remember. Yeah, at and one she's, point. she's and really. It's, it's, and it's. I thought that was brave. I think any time you any time you create an unsympathetic narrator, who is uh, not unsympathetic, is too strong, but a, a narrator that you have ambivalence mm. about, and that particularly when you've got letters involved, so you've got no other way to see around. You're mm. trying to peer yes, around the corners, but so you've clever. only got her point of view to go on. I, I, so you so you you're stuck with her whether you like her or not, mm. and then you find yourself getting used to her and liking her for her honesty and liking her for her ambivalence about motherhood and maternity yeah. and all of that I thought that as much as the subject matter I thought the choice of narrator and, and hero heroine was really really me brave me too me I too that was oh god I'm, I'm gonna read it again at some point it I don't read many dark books because I mm. swear I scare easily I get me really too. freaked out me too but that one I mean that one made me want to read more mm. I, and I, I seem to remember right reading something a bit like thrillerish afterwards and just being like nah no, you haven't got it. Haven't got you know, it's it. interesting. She, she, I read an article uh, in The Guardian that she wrote saying, and I think it's sort of really well known, you know, she sent this out to multiple, multiple publishers mm. and it got turned down by absolutely everybody. That's so interesting. It was very soon after 9-11 and everybody came back going, America's, America's tolerance for violence is no longer what it was. Ha ha, look at us now this deep in violence again. But there is no there is no market for this. And this tiny, tiny little publishing house who published her once before called Serpent Tale, I think, um, they agreed to do it and and are now, and you know, just have, but that she did it and what was so fun hearing about that was that not only was it just this little publishing house, but then it was these Upper East Side ladies who were bicycling and running the book over to one another it started entirely with word of mouth it started entirely with word of mouth and it took on from there from people like you unable to contain themselves at dinner parties going you've got to read this because I went back and looked and I I tend to just go to the Guardian for this stuff but the original review of of it in the Guardian on when it was published in mm. t- two thousand and three is an absolutely lukewarm review. Yeah, I it's bet. absolutely. I lukewarm. don't know how you can have a lukewarm reaction to that book. I felt the same way. I, I felt don't... like either come down heavy, like if you yeah. stylistically, if it's not your bag, I get it. But you have to admire, you have to admire the balls of a woman to write yeah. like this. And also, I just... love that she's got a man's name. Not that that's her I choice. Know, but I know, I know. But there's something very uh, revealing. About yeah, that, I, I know. She's I. I no, I feel the same. I said I because I wax lyrical about it on Twitter when I'd read it, and uh, and I remember a few people being like, "No, it didn't do it for me," and I'm like, "I just want to say, I don't think you tried." <laughs> I don't know. Go I, back look, and try I again. think you can get to the end of that book and go, "Oh, that was a that was a schlep," right. or that was that I found that letter style quite hard. If you don't yeah. engage with it, then I can see how you can do it. But 
just the you know the very basic story points of what that kid yeah. is and does you don't know how you can't go on a journey with I it agree. so anyway but I think there's a thing that really divided people another funny thing about Lana Shriver is uh, when I was writing The Cows I said I just had art and I was really struggling with trying to get my head back into work and um I because there's a one of the characters in the cows uh, chooses not to have children so I was just reading about you know women publicly have talked about not having kids and there's one book and it's called something like 10 writers talk about why you can't have kids and be a writer <laughs> and Lionel contributed in it oh, and she was great. just quite blatant you just cannot be a writer and have kids and I like yeah. to set the record straight that now I feel like you can you but can, at that point sure. in between kids I was like you're right you fucking can't this is just, <laughs> I've, ruined it. I've ruined it I don't know what I'm like, going to take a tapestry or, or something because I can't write anymore it's just an app yeah but she's I love how I love how uh just thoroughly Lionel Shriver she is about being Lionel Shriver and that that book's great and I loved I loved her other books as well I haven't read her other ones um talk to me about which one next oranges are not the only fruit or legendary authors uh, so Orange is Not the Only Fruit is pro- I read it when I was at school and it's how old are you uh, probably about 16 mm-hmm. no it would have been A-levels so maybe around 17 I really couldn't stand all of the school texts that I was ever given Side with Rosie can fuck off I just honestly I, I can remember just being like are you trying to make me fail or are you trying to stop me reading I didn't understand it and but Orange then Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit just kind of appeared on the reading list as a set text wow I think it was it it's must have been because I got it as a like I've marked it my copy is marked up right I don't really remember much about school, but I remember reading this book and it, yeah, it was definitely involved. We definitely studied it. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is unlikely. I, you know, I'd lost my mum. I loved reading books and still love reading books and write books about complicated relationships mm. with mothers. That was just, and I, so I think when I was a teenager, any book that made me feel like there was another girl who didn't have that, I'm in trouble, I'll call my mum type lifestyle yes. was just really comforting for me. Yeah. And so that was what, that that was initially, I guess, why I loved it. Then I loved the fact that she was a lesbian. Mm. I was reading it in Guernsey, which I told you was very, you know, we had the occasional gay people, gay person, but um, put by. For yeah, we, yeah, it was it was a really what's what's even the right word to use? Sheltered, sheltered place. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, mm. and I don't think anyone was deliberately. No, but if you grow up on a tiny island, that's not something yeah. which, you know, that's just a function of Yeah, exactly. Doing it. I don't feel like it was a racist place or a, you know, a, uh, I can't think of any of my words, just a, uh, what's the word when you're, uh, homophobic. Homophobic, but just the word that kind of encapsulates all of those things. Prejudice, right. or whatever. That's not mm-hmm. the word, but that will do. Um, I don't think it, the people I know are like that, mm. but I just think it was the facts were that it was white mm. and wealthy mm. and there weren't many gay people. Mm. And the few people that I know who came out as gay, I want to go back and just say, fucking wow. well done. Because so I don't think at the time I realised how brave it was. Sure. So there was this book that we were reading and that was just so exciting to see this young girl go through this experience. I think it was my first time of going, oh, that's an actual thing mm. that you have got to, that you realise in yourself and you have to tell the people around you and then be judged or abandoned or um, or you hide it. And then, you know, and I was like, God, that made me opened up my heart and opened up my mind to what people actually experience in life and about being true to who you are. Mm. And all of those messages is what I got from the book. And. Mm. Um, so it was my first real book, I think, that took me out of the Guernsey bubble. Interesting. And made me empathise with people mm. a lot more and made me want to be exactly who I wanted to be as well. Wow. So, um, so yeah, it, it was it was a really important book. Yeah. And I, I'm really proud of my... Sorry, that was my chair. Yeah, was, it's fine. <laughs> I'm proud of whatever teacher or curriculum gave me that book to read at that I'm age. I'm so impressed too. I didn't come to Jeanette Winston until way late. I think I read Oranges, but maybe in my early 20s. And then I read her later stuff here in LA. I was given it by a very book-loving guy that I adored who gave me Gut Symmetries and Written on the Body. Oh, Have yeah. You read those? Yeah, I read Gut Symmetry. Oh, my God. I loved them. I yeah. loved them. I think she... It's not erotic, but it's it, there's a you can tell just from the titles. There's an immersion in the body that oh she inhabits that is so sensorial, not even sensual, but just there's a there's there is there's a sensuality to the oh, way that she writes. That's so not so much there in oranges because it's that's more. But it is, I find oranges so sexual. Did though. you? Yeah. And weirdly, I you know I don't. It's not explicit in any way, but I definitely. 
had a good wank in the bath at various right, points right, about right. being lesbian. Yeah. You know, and I think it just does, like, it definitely excited me as a teenage girl yeah. and made me kind of Wonder think about, about where I was at with all that, mm-hmm. which was all over the place for a while. Right. So I, I just, oh, I love the way she writes. And then, you know, her memoir was basically Orange is Not the Only Fruit, <laughs> the kind of, the, the real version. No. Um, she's, yeah, I'd love to meet her, actually. I'd ima- I, I imagine... Um, I actually had an email thing with her not very long ago because when I had my company, I did a skirt and I printed some lyrics from lyrics, some words from um, oh, quotes from oranges onto the skirt. So I, she said that I could use the quotes for a year if I gave her two uh, skirts, which was great and amazing. And but I never got to meet her. I totally imagined meeting her and being like, "Oh, you're a bit scary." Right. Um, yes, I would think. Yeah, yeah, maybe she wouldn't be, but I imagine that she'd be an author that I'd meet. And even though I'm such a massive fan, I, I'm sure I'd still be a bit like. Ooh. Um, oh, I love. Will you send me a picture of the skirts? Yes, I will. I'll post them when we way out. Really, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I don't know. I find her fascinating as a writer, as a person, and I love the fact that Orange is. You know, there's some. It's very real to her own experience. Mm. You feel like you're just writing it. She's written a you know a flowery version of her real existence. Yeah, but um, I loved it. Yeah, for so many reasons. No, it's true. It's interesting because you know I noticed this. About your books. So Jane Eyre, the subtitle was it, or maybe originally it was called Jane Eyre, semicolon, an autobiography. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's written, for, as we know, from Jane's point of view. Yeah. And then uh, and we need to talk about Kevin is also a first person mm-hmm. narrator, albeit, you know, through letters. And then Oranges is not a memoir and yet basically mm-hmm. a memoir. I'm really struck that all of these books... And all of the books I've ever written have all been in first per- person. Yes. Because, um, and actually, I... I'm thinking about the next, not the one I'm writing now, but the next one. I'm toying about toying with doing a third person book because mm-hmm. I like the fact that you can go beyond the room. Sure. And I find that really exciting, but that the way that you can get into a character's head when you're in their head mm. is a difficult thing to leave behind because, yeah. but I am, I am excited about the idea of being able to leave the room. Yeah. So yeah, but all the I mean, all my favorite oh, books. Have fun. Yeah, all my favorite books are written in first person. Well, that's interesting, especially ones with like really great female characters. Yeah, you can just kind of get into their shoes. Yeah, let's talk about your last one. Yes, legendary authors and the clothes they wore. Terry Newman, twenty seventeen. So you first of all carry the accolade of having picked the most recent formative book yes. that anyone's ever done. When I looked this up, I was riveted. I'm praying you've got a copy of this that I can take a look at I have, as we leave. And I haven't read the whole thing. Someone gave it my, it's only my birthday a few weeks ago. My friend Nancy gave it to me as my birthday Oh, present. really? Because I too have a podcast called Get It On, which is about the importance of what we wear. Yeah. And sometimes when I'm approaching guests to be in my podcast, of which you will be. I can't wait. Um, I'm just not, I, I'm just not as organised as you. So no, I no, no. I haven't got my together yet. But, um, Sometimes I'm approaching people like, I for example, I'm going to name and shame him because it's actually Nancy's husband, Louis Theroux. Yes. I really wants to be a guest on the podcast. And I can tell when I asked him, he's a bit like, oh, but clothes. Yeah. Like, but it's not about clothes. Of course it's not. The way, if you dress in a, in a jade pair of chino shorts with a matching jade t-shirt that you got in a catalogue for fourteen ninety nine because you don't care. That says as much of about you. Of course it does, as if you wear a vintage exactly. thing from the... Yeah. And I just, I think with the podcast, all I want people to understand is those people that say they don't care about their clothes are making as much of a statement as someone that says they do. And so this book that Nancy gave me... Um, I'm giving you this as my one of my five most influential books as it's simply based on the title and the premise of the book yeah, rather than the fact I, that I, I read it. I was intrigued by it. Because I was like, fuck, that book is everything. And so now when I'm approaching people to interview on my podcast, if they give me that, I'm not interested. I'm like, this book about famous authors and what they wear is fascinating. And they suddenly go, I'm fascinated because I'm totally. what I wear. Of course I am. And you're like, it's, it's great to have it in print to know yes. that what I think is true is... Sanctified by it. Yes. yes that someone's and dedicated a book, a book about, about. And the yeah. fact that it's so interesting what, what writers wear. Yeah. And um, Well, also they pick from what I saw, and you'll show me on the way out, but they pick really interesting men and women of letters. So so and and all of them have a distinctive look. I mean the cover alone of Joan Didion yeah. sort of slouching on a on a car and then So cool. Um who were the others that I love? Truman Capote it yes. was an obvious one. Carl Ove Nausgaard who I love. I haven't who, got to him yet. Oh in the my book. god. Well I'm obsessed with him because I think he's the sexiest man alive and I just love all his books and I have they're, they're this thick and they're so daunting but they are 
Um, he's just, uh, he, he'll make a walk through the park somehow, tense, sexy, fraught with dangers. And right. he's literally crossed the park and had an existential crisis while pushing his kid in a stroller. It's fucking ridiculous. But it's so compelling. And every photo, because, you know, they're all autobiography yeah. is huge books. And every photo is him looking sort of increasingly more craggy and seemingly utterly careless with maybe a cigarette sticking yeah. out of his mouth. And everyone makes him more and more attractive to me. He's he's my secret boyfriend. That's so, it's, but it's so true. So Neil Gaiman's a friend of mine. Uh-huh. And he, um, I interviewed Amanda, his wife, for... Um, my last series and I'd asked Neil and I could tell he was slightly like oh I don't really get it right and so I sent him the picture of the book the other day and said Neil this is why you have to be a guest on my podcast and he totally got it into doing it because what I love about Neil is that he's an incredibly successful writer and he's just this but he's this wonderful eccentric and he I feel like if someone was to say to me draw your romantic version of what uh you know, a male writer looks like. Mm. I would draw Neil Gaiman. Oh, really? And he probably hasn't done that on purpose, but sure. his kind of kind of shaggy blazer and his moppy hair and uh-huh. the fact that he always just looks a bit like he's on a deadline. <laughs> and it speaks so much about who he is and he looks really disorganised and he probably is. Yeah. And I think, I just think that's so interesting. I love that book so much. Lovely. Not only because it absolutely solidified the reason why I should make that podcast sure secondly because it's man my route to getting good guests and thirdly because it's just really interesting yeah and um as a writer what I wear really matters it, mm. it definitely affects my day like when I go and write in a cafe you know they always say they know me in this the great outfit today and I'm like yeah, you're right, it is. Yeah. It is a great outfit right. because I, I decided what I was going to wear today because I'm in the mood to wear my badass jumpsuit. Right. Or I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit wistful. I'm going to write a scene that's quite emotional and so I'm wearing some floaty dress. Right. And I really use it. Right. I, like at home today, I'm wearing my mum grease because I'm having a day at home yes. and you're coming over. and. You know, every five minutes I'll run. By the way, still rocking them like the sexy goddess you are. I have an off the shoulder thing. I'm loving the off the shoulder. It's all working. Thank you so much. What you can't see is the new bra that I bought, and my boobs are bulging out the side (laughs) because I've just stopped breastfeeding and I have no idea what size my tits are. No, you just got to give it a month. That was a completely unnecessary. No, not at all. Very personal amount of information I gave you for a podcast about books. I'm no, (laughs) that was entirely appropriate given what we're talking about. And I'm also fascinated because the idea that there is a correlation between what you wear and how you write I think is intrinsic to who you are you've already told me that your ideal room has got vintage dresses Mm -hmm. and a desk in it so it's fun to thread the needle of like well where do those where do those meet yeah I know that I when I write used to just throw on sweatpants and or go from the gym they're not the good days Mm -hmm. and also there's something about and this is too sort of emerging from the fug of motherhood Mm -hmm. was going no I will reclaim my body hence and and a sort of room of one's own Mm -hmm. and I will reclaim my sense of identity and so much of who that identity is Mm -hmm. is what I read and how I dress and how I present in that way I also write sometimes at the Malibu Soho house and so uh, you really have to pull really it together to there. It dude you have to yeah. because those the waitresses alone are just sort of heart numbingly gorgeous see so. my, my little cafe that I write in here in West Hollywood is just full of like guys who have just worked out <laughs> so it's like me in some kind of floaty chiffon lumber and then just these meatheads eating burritos and then Chris will come in on his way back from the gym and like eat half my burrito and I'm just <laughs> darling and they all just think it's really on my, on my typewriter that I now use to write on just oh, really loud and clunky so like I'm pretending to be some Bronte sister but um, I love yeah it. I think it, it, when you're writing it's really nice to set your own little scene and being presentable not necessarily feeling like you look good but just that you're interested in how you're feeling yeah. and present in yourself it definitely definitely helps when I roll out of bed and don't get dressed all day those are the days where I feel like I could never write another word again right so true yeah it's so true and it is about being present to yourself it's such a good observation I think that you that having paid attention to what you wear means that you have um, not just curated it but also look is there a baby coming to see oh, you do you want this on your podcast yes I do <laughs> I think there's a baby about to come in this is the first baby of the podcast Hi. is there a valentine please don't bring him in there's hey, a valentine make any noise Hello, darling. This is Valentine on a podcast. Oh, my Lord. And this is me going to party on my podcast. Are you going to say anything, Val? Hello, darling. What do you think? 
Oh, look at those eyes. Oh, my God. I'm looking at one of the most delicious babies you've ever, <laughs> ever seen right now. He's really yummy. He's not going to say anything. Hello, darling. Then. Well, you're going to want to hit the microphone. I'm going to ask you one question, then, because yes. we've done so many. Um, Val's left us, which is heartbreaking. <laughs> heartbreaking. I just lost my Valentine. Um, I have one last question for yes. you. You can take one book to your desert island. What is it? It can be one of the five, or it can be another one altogether. Oh, my goodness, I me. know. You didn't That's see that coming. really hard. I know. One book, the Bible, obviously. Just joking. I wouldn't. Um, no, that was disrespectful. I Somebody apologize. will. At some uh, point. Of course. What would I take to a desert island? Oh my goodness! I take a notebook. Would you an yeah. empty notebook? I'll I think let I you would have to. Take I'll let a you. I'll let you take a pencil as well. If I could take a pencil, is that a boring answer? No, it's wonderful. Nobody's ever said that. I, I think it. it would be really frustrating that I think the least that I can do is leave behind a notebook with a story in it. Lovely. Great. Dawn, thank you so much. Thank this has you. been such a pleasure. Thank you for being my guest. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. If you like the show, please write us a review on iTunes on the website. It really makes a difference rate us give us some stars let your friends know let your family know tell everyone you can go to the website bookishwithsoniawalga.com if you want to find out about any of the books that you heard about we list there not only the five favorites but every single book that is referenced you can also buy the books through the website and uh, we make a tiny tiny little percentage of whatever you buy through the website so if you are interested please go ahead and click on that you can find us on Facebook. We have a Bookish with Sonia Walger page. You can find us on Twitter with at Bookish Sonia or at SoniaWalger.com. And you could also email me through the info at Bookish with page. If you hit on contact, it'll just automatically pop up as an email there. So if you have any ideas for guests that you'd like to hear from, or thoughts that you have about the show, please don't hesitate to share them there. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show.